Father, thank you that we can call you our Father in heaven. That you would choose to take upon yourself a title so close, so intimate, so familiar. And that you would do everything necessary to make it possible for us, those sinful, to call upon you with such a close, close title. Our Daddy. Jesus, you've done it all so that we could have that status with the Father. We thank you, Jesus. You're our big brother. You have lived for us and died for us and rose for us. Thank you. And Father and Son, you've given the Holy Spirit to help us know that we really are children of God. Holy Spirit, would you take from your word this morning and take the things that are true about Jesus and make them real to our hearts. And and Lord, oh, how we need Jesus in our hearts. For some here this morning, there's, there's hearts of of brokenness and sadness over the loss of a father or, or having never known a father or, or not being able to be a father. Lord, would you comfort? And for others of us, we, we feel so much the responsibility of being a father that, Lord, our hearts are filled with anxiety. I pray that you would help calm our fears. Oh, that Jesus, you're leading the way. And oh, Father, would you be pleased to to help the one who speaks and help all who hear to come to know the greatness and the glory of Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. It seems like when you come to a special Sunday, and I, I guess, you know, Father's Day would be a special Sunday, when you come to a Sunday like this, The the temptation is always to reach into God's word, to find some passage, and to proclaim that passage as an admonition to to dads or to fathers or to men in general to, to be great. And you know, when I look at my own life, oh, there's a there's a desire in my heart to be great. Oh, man, do I want to be a great dad? Of course I want to be a great dad. Listen, I don't know any man who who goes into fatherhood thinking, man, I really want to foul this up. I want to do the best I can to be the worst I can. But, you know, so many of us, we have fouled it up. We've made mistakes. And I want you to know that I have many, many, many heroes But I only have one Savior, and his name is Jesus. And so what I want to do this Sunday is the same thing I want to do every Sunday. And that's I want to lift up Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, dads, let Jesus lead the way. And I want to tell all of you, oh, following Jesus with everything you have is worth it. Listen, in a world that wants to distract you and draw you away from a pure and simple devotion to Jesus, listen, I want you to know following Jesus is worth it. Jesus 
Jesus leads the way. Now I want you to turn to Ezra chapter 7. Now Ezra is one of my heroes. I love Ezra, but he's not my Savior. And Jesus is my Savior, and I want to take this passage from Ezra chapter 7, and I want us to draw our attention to Jesus through this Old Testament passage. So let's jump in. It says that after these things, in the reign of Adarxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah. Now, it, this verse starts out and says, after these things. So what are the things that have preceded this section of the book of Ezra? Well, what's preceded this first section is that 60 years earlier, another leader, a man named Zerubbabel, had led a group of people of Israel back into Jerusalem. Because between the time in the passage that uh, Dylan read earlier, the people of God had gone into exile in Babylon, and a king had arisen in Babylon by the name of Cyrus, and Cyrus issued a decree that all who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, as Jeremiah, another prophet of Israel, had promised, they could go back. And everybody said, yes, this is it. All the promises are going to be fulfilled. We're going back to Jerusalem. This is going to be amazing. Now, go back to Ezra chapter 1. And we'll see this initial promise, edict by Cyrus. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among uh, you of all his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Every survivor at whatever place he may live, let men of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with a freewill offering for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. So what was the first task? Zerubbabel took upon himself the task of going back to Jerusalem with a group of Israelites and with the financial backing, the financial support of the other Israelites along with Cyrus, they're going to rebuild the temple. Why? To create a place where God could be worshipped and be present with his people. The temple was a place where God's people would gather. And when they gathered in the place that God had promised for his name to dwell, they would experience his greatness, his glory. They would exalt him in worship. And so Zerubbabel goes back. And they, they begin to rebuild. And they, they relay the altar. And they relay the foundations of the temple. And things seem like they're going great. But there's a problem. Because despite all the efforts of Zerubbabel, the temple, as it's rebuilt, isn't quite as glorious as the older temple. 
the former temple, before God's judgment came against his people and they were sent into exile in Babylon. And so in chapter 3, verse 10, we read this. When the builders who laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness is upon Israel forevermore. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Yet many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the weeping of the people, uh, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. People ask me all the time, how are things going at the church? Well, it depends. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. It's always that way. All throughout the history of God's people, it's always been a mixture of joy and weeping. It's always been that way, but for the people of Jerusalem at this time, it was especially hard because it wasn't what they expected. And then isn't that, isn't it that way so often in parenting? We think, man, I've done it all. It just doesn't turn out quite the way we expect. You know, there's only ever been one perfect father. And that was God. And his first kids didn't turn out too well, did they? You know, listen, the pressure's off. Dads, relax. Let your guts out. It's Father's Day. Enjoy your day. But listen, tomorrow, don't load yourself up with all sorts of guilt. Oh, my kids. Oh, my God. Listen. There's only one perfect parent. There's only one perfect brother, and that's Jesus. The pressure's off. That makes it possible for us to face the reality that at the same time, we are saints invited into the presence of God to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And at the same time, we're sinners. We still need his grace. Now, in response to what the people of God are experiencing back in Jerusalem, Ezra senses a call of God to go and offer his help to Zerubbabel, and what is his calling? His calling is not to be a leader to rebuild the temple, but to be a leader who restores biblical community and the teaching of Scripture to the Jewish people. And so Ezra is sent, and Artaxes sends him 
And this is what we find out about Ezra. First, he's the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of, uh, where would we leave off? Zariah, son of Uzi, son of uh, Bukai, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra, this Ezra has the right lineage. He has the right heritage. He has the right genealogy. Now, we suffer through these genealogies in the Bible. But why is it here? It's here to say, you are not. You're not a one-off. You're unique. You're important. You're one of a kind. Oh, but you're not alone. You live in a line of people who have heard the message of the gospel from generation to generation to generation. Anybody watching any of the Olympic trials? It's pretty fun. The Olympics may actually happen. You know the most important part in the relay races is the exchange from one person to the next person. It doesn't matter whether it's race, running or swimming. The most important moment is the exchange, and it's especially important in running because they have something called the baton. And if the baton is dropped, it's game over. And every generation has the responsibility to pass the baton of the gospel from one generation to the next. And when we read about Ezra, we read about a man, and the baton was passed from Aaron the priest all the way down from generation to generation to generation to generation until it came to Ezra. And the gospel, the good news came to Ezra. And he received the baton and he said yes. He said yes to what God wanted to do in his generation. So it's both. What does God want to do in your generation? And what will you do to take what he's done in your life and pass it on to the next generation? Well, here we are. Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King uh, Artaxerxes. Um, Ezra went up. And we read that Ezra was skilled in the law of Moses. That means he was a Bible nerd. He knew this book. He took this book into his life. He learned it. He studied it. He took it. But listen, what was most true of Ezra is that Ezra experienced the grace of God 
and that through the grace of God, the hand, the hand of the Lord, his God, was upon him. The most important thing about Ezra was something that happened to him first, not through him. What happened to him was that God placed his grace upon him. Jesus Christ leads the way. Jesus Christ leads the way as Savior. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. What does it mean to be lost? It means that we're separated from God. It means that we're without hope apart from God coming to seek and find us. It means that through our sin, we have resisted God and turned away from God. And because of that rebellion, there is no way for us to find our way back home unless, unless God comes looking for us. And he has. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. How did he do it? He came to be a, a better Ezra, a better priest. And as our better priest, he lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we deserve to die. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ went to the cross, and on the cross he prayed, he paid the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. And then he rose from the dead, and he says that if you'll turn from your sin, and you'll put your trust in me, I'll forgive all your sin, I'll credit you with my righteousness, that's my perfect record, I'll forgive you, I'll give you righteousness, and I'll come into your life as Savior and Lord, and I'll help you become the person you were designed to be. That's a good deal. The question is then, have you ever received the gift of eternal life? Jesus said, truly, truly, he who believes has eternal life. Have you believed? At Good News, we say that to believe in Jesus is as simple as A, B, C. That we, A, admit. We admit that we've sinned. We've turned away from God, and what we deserve is his wrath, death, eternal separation from God, and every good thing. That we believe, that we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that we commit. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. I'll follow you. What does it mean that Jesus leads the way? It means that Jesus leads the way as Savior. The good hand of God was upon him. Have you experienced that? The, that the good hand of God is now upon you through Jesus Christ. You can. You can begin to experience the, the good hand of God in your life right now if you turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus leads the way as Savior. Verse 8, Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king, 
For on the first day of the month, he began to go up from Babylon, and on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, because the good hand of his God was upon him. It was a four-month journey from <coughs> Persia to Jerusalem. Four months. What sustained him? What helped him along the way? It wasn't Ezra's greatness. It was the greatness of God. It was that the good hand of God was upon him. And Ezra wasn't alone. He had others with him. Some of the sons of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple servants, they went up with him. Jesus leads the way. He, he saves us. Then he places us into a community, a biblical community. We call it the church. And in a church, there's safety in numbers. There's the ability to lift one another up when we're down, to help one another when we're in need. There's the opportunity to use our gifts just as Ezra used his gifts. Then verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra grew up all of his life with God's word. Even in a pagan land, even in an unbelieving country, Persia, Ezra grew up and took this good book. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to practice it, and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Jesus leads the way as Savior. Jesus leads the way as our model for life in ministry. If you want to know how to live, look to Jesus. Now, if we follow Jesus' model without knowing Jesus as Savior, it's not going to work out too well for us. But if we've come to know Jesus as Savior and the Holy Spirit has come to live within us, then as we look to Jesus as our model, the Holy Spirit's job is to give us the desire and the power to become more like Jesus, to pattern our lives after his model for life and ministry. And chiefly, just like Ezra, Jesus, Jesus shows us how to live a life built upon God's word. That Jesus Christ throughout his life was devoted to the scriptures. You see Jesus leading the way as a person devoted to the scriptures. He used the scriptures to learn who he was as the Messiah. He used the scriptures to fight off temptation so that he would be able to live the life we should have lived, racking up a record of righteousness for us. He used the scriptures to tell others who he was. He used the scriptures to confront unbelief. He used the scriptures to support himself in moments of discouragement and despair. He used the scriptures in the midst of his own suffering to give him comfort and help. He used the scriptures. All throughout his life, Jesus Christ leads the way as someone who was devoted to the Word of God. 
And so this week, it's not just Ezra. It's Jesus who leads the way as Savior. It's Jesus who leads the way as our model for life and ministry. And he leads us to this book. Now last week, I told you that that this book is our authority for life and ministry. This book tells us how to live. This book tells us who God is and who we are. This book is our authority. And I said last week that at one time, this book was apart from us. But then, when we came to faith in Christ, this book took a place of authority in our lives. And this, we now receive the word as what it is. The truth. The word of God. And we say, Father, speak, for your servant is listening. In every page of scripture, we ask the Father to glorify himself by revealing Jesus, showing us how to live a life pleasing to him. For Ezra had set his heart. Now what I want you to understand is how is it that I could ever have a heart? How can this sin-sick heart ever be turned towards God in a desire to study his word and practice his word and teach his word? Oh, it starts with the heart. Don't jump past the heart. How is my sin-sick heart brought to God? It's through the gospel. If I'm ever going to have any hope of coming to this book and studying it and practicing it and teaching others, I have to first come to Christ and have my heart warmed by Jesus. My heart has to be filled with Jesus. Then I come to God's word, and God's word is different to me because of the change that's taken place in my heart. Mark Twain illustrates this. When Mark Twain was young, he grew up in a, in a church home. He grew up hearing this book read and taught. But Mark Twain used to have a nightmare. And in his nightmare, he would have a copy of the Bible, 300-pound Bible on his chest, crushing him. And that's what the Bible does to us. If Jesus and the gospel doesn't first move into our heart, the Bible's commands only mock us. The Bible's promises, oh, they're so distant from us. But the moment Jesus Christ moves into the center of your life, the moment you trust in Christ, then the promises of God begin to become precious and magnificent to you. Suddenly, the teaching of Scripture, rather than being a burden to you, becomes a delight to you. It starts with a heart, a heart that's gripped by the gospel. Then, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Now turn to Psalm chapter 1. And this is a beautiful picture of the study of Scripture. How blessed, how happy, how joyful is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. 
Those are amazing words. Blessed. Delight. Where does it flow from? It flows from the Scripture. And Martin Luther illustrated it this way. He said, when I come to study Scripture, I come to Scripture like I come to an apple tree. Now, you can do this. You come to Scripture like you come to an apple tree, and you shake it. And when you shake the apple tree, all the ripe apples, they fall off first. And there's plenty of ripe, ripe apples in this book. You can find them easily. Great promises, clear instruction. Are you shaking it? Shake it. Get the, get the ripe fruit. It'll fall first. Then, Luther said he goes to every branch, and he searches all the branches. Under, on, on every branch, he searches for more fruit to gather. Then he goes from that branch to every twig, and he looks on every twig for branch for fruit. And then he looks under every leaf, Luther said, to find fruit in Scripture. That's how you study Scripture. On your law, he meditates day and night. We go to the Scriptures and we shake it. We get those, that low-hanging fruit. Then we start going branch by branch, twig by twig, searching under every leaf to find, to find the fruit, the true food, the living water that we need. How blessed. Oh, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Ezra studied the scripture. It was his delight. Ezra practiced it. Ezra practiced it. There is a man who looks into God's perfect word turns away and forgets everything he's heard. And James says he's a fool. He's like somebody who looks in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. And James says, don't be like that. Instead, what I want for you is to put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror for once he's looked at himself and gone away he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was but one who looks intently at the perfect law the law of liberty and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer this man will be blessed in what he does. How, do you, how does that happen? Well, it happens when a deep, deep humility has moved in. You see, if you, if you read this book, you're either going to become like Mark Twain, and you'll have the 300-pound Bible on your chest, and it'll lead you to despair. Or... You'll read this book and you'll say, yeah, you know, I kind of got that. I'm pretty good. I'm nailing it. You know, the person who's proud in the face of Scripture, they've forgotten what they look like. They don't know anything about what they actually are. The person who's filled with despair, they've forgotten what they look like to God. 
Oh, but the person who comes to this book with a deep humility, born of the gospel, and says to himself, to herself, you know what? Look in the mirror and cheer up. You're way worse than you think. But oh, cheer up. You're far more loved than you could ever imagine. That is a person who's experiencing a humility born of the gospel. And it's that humility born of the gospel that enables us to go to the word and to say, yes, Father, you are more powerful than I expect you to be. And you can even help me, even me, become a doer of your word. Jesus leads the way. He did it all for us. And when we see that Jesus did it for us, we're set free from either despair or pride. And we're humbled before the word. And we say, yes. Oh, let me put into practice what I see in this book. Ezra studied the law. He practiced it. And then he taught his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And this is just what Jesus did. Jesus invited a group of fishermen to come and follow him. And he said, I will make you become fishers of men. And it wasn't many years after that that Paul would write to Timothy. And he would say in 2 Timothy 2.2, Oh, Timothy, the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... The, this entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What is the plan? For getting this good news, this gospel to the nations, it's one person, just like Ezra, taking the scriptures into the center of their life, studying it. Because they're good? No, because God is good. The good hand of God was upon Ezra. When the good hand of God was upon Ezra, he studied the scriptures and he put it into practice and he taught God's commands in Israel. But you know, Ezra would run into so many obstacles. He would run into so much resistance. Throughout his ministry, he would run into so much conflict. And that's why that's why Israel needed someone better than Ezra. And his name was Jesus. Oh, dads, listen. You need Jesus. And your kids need Jesus. Won't you let Jesus lead the way? Won't you say yes to following Jesus? Let Jesus lead the way as Savior. Let Jesus lead the way as your model for life and ministry. Let it be God's word that comes into the center of your life and begins to transform everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning, for the promise of your word that, Lord, you will draw us You'll draw your people, not just your people from Babylon, but 
your people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You'll draw them unto your son, Jesus. He's the better temple. He's the better priest. He's the better king. And we look to him this morning and we ask you, Jesus, that you'd be at work in the heart of every person here and, and everyone watching online, that, that, Lord, you wouldn't let there be anyone here or watching online who, who wouldn't turn from sin and trust in you. Listen, if you're here, if you've heard the message of the gospel this morning and, and it's for the first time made sense to you, then would you just receive the gift of eternal life and say to Jesus, Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Forgive me all of my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Come into my life as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. And Jesus, in view of your good hand upon us, in view of the fact that you have begun a work of salvation, a work of grace in our lives, Holy Spirit, would you speak to every person here now and would you show us, show us our next step? Holy Spirit, help us to study and to practice and to teach your word. Oh, none of us will do it perfectly, but oh, all of us, by the power of your gospel, can take a step this week. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.